Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Where ag and life collide. Brought to you by Gowan. Melvin Williams, golf course superintendent to legends. We talk it all right now. Hello, America, and a growing audience around the world. Welcome to Open Field Radio, raising the hip factor in agriculture. What a cool show today. And the randomness of this show, how I came about this particular guest, is equally as cool. You know the things that are right under your nose? They've been there the whole time. You had no idea it existed. Yep, that is today's episode. Our guest today, Melvin Williams, golf course superintendent. And not just any golf course superintendent. There's a story to this, and you're going to hear all about it. But the backstory is, Melvin is the uncle to a very dear friend of mine. And I didn't even know this. I didn't know that her uncle was the golf course superintendent to golf legends. True golf legends. So here I am kicking things around looking for an episode. Wind up at lunch with our lifetime friend. And she says, oh yeah, my uncle. He's a blah, 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 blah. And I went, what? What did you just say? She goes, yeah. I go, how do I talk to that guy? Couple of texts and you know how it goes. Bang, we got an episode. So this is going to be really cool. On another note, talk about random. In doing this show, I see the analytics and the geographic locations that all of you, the listeners, come from. And it's really piqued my curiosity in small-town America. Now, we all love the big cities, lots to do, lots to see. But the more I look, the more I realize America is loaded with little, teeny, tiny towns. And if that's your town, I want to hear from you. Email me, info at openfieldradio.com. I want to know the population of your town and why you live there, what keeps it going, and how come you're there. And don't tell me you're there because you're stuck. I'm sure there's some cool story to your little teeny tiny town. I love it. That's what makes America go round. couple other cool things going on in the open field radio world. Number one is this is our 40th episode. Very happy about that. Thank you for getting us this far. And along with that, we just hit the 20,000 download mark. We are very happy about that. So this thing is far from slowing down, and it's all because of you guys. Thanks for listening, and thanks for keeping up with us. I promise you, it does not go unnoticed. Open Field Radio with Melvin Williams. It's all about golf. You'll hear it all in plus or minus 90 seconds. Open Field Radio. So, at the time this is recorded, the job availability in the United States is nearly 11 million jobs. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career at Gowan? Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com slash careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com slash careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. I want to hear from you. Yep. And not just an email, though emails are cool. And of course, this will involve an email too, but it'll be a cool email because here's what I need you to do. Grab your phone, find the voice app, you know, the little memo app in your phone that nobody uses for much of anything. We're going to use it. I want you to give me your name, where you're from, what you do, and that you listen to Open Field Radio. So it would go like this. I'm Mark Yuma, Arizona, host of Open Field Radio, and I listen to Open Field Radio. Got it? Just Fill in the blanks with your information. Shoot it off to me in an email, info at openfieldradio.com. I just might use it on the air. And if I do, I'll send you something cool. How's that? Because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. My name is James Little. I'm right outside Idaho, Texas. And I'm listening to Open Field Radio. This is Marsh McTari. Marsh McTari, co-founder of Gray Whale Gin, Season 1, Episode 7. And you're listening to Open Field Radio. 
Open Field Radio Season 2, Episode 15 with Melvin Williams. It all starts right now. Tell me this. I am fascinated by this story. And for me, I think, and for our listeners, I think the idea that we're going to talk a little golf and some golf course, and the name Jack Nicholas might come up in the story somewhere, just <laughs> sounds about as cool as it gets. Where does it start? Well, it actually goes back quite a bit before Jack Nicholas, uh, and a lot of your older listeners would know Don January. Okay, sure. Uh, Don January and Arnold Palmer used to play golf together, along with uh, Ben Hogan and O'Byron Nelson. Don January is a real good personal friend of mine. I worked for him for about uh, two years solid. Uh, he was designing golf courses, and uh, I've run across him. So he was the first designer. Actually, uh, Gary Player was the first player who I built one of his golf courses. Like I say, I have built eight golf courses or supervised construction on eight golf courses. Some of the top architects in the world of golf, Tom Fazio, is my favorite designer, and I, I've uh, supervised uh, the construction on two of his golf courses. Amazing. And uh, then Pete uh, Dye, uh, uh, Ken Dye, who's not related to Pete Dye, is one of the most famous golf course architects in modern time. And then, of course, Jack Nicholas. And so I first met Jack Nicholas when I moved here to Austin. I moved to Austin in 2002. The golf course that I moved to here decided for some reason, well, I know what it was. Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw live here in Austin. So I know both of them real well. And they wanted to get a senior tour event here in Austin. So it came to the course where I was a superintendent here in Lakeway at the Hills Country Club. And so that's where I first met Jack Nicholas. So he had designed this golf course originally, the Hills, and then about 30 years later, he designed Flint Rock Falls, which is the second course here at the Hills. Jack himself was here and played in the senior tournament when it was here at the Hills. And then uh, he came to the official opening of the Flint Rock Falls golf course. I spent uh, most of my time in my career with Don January as a designer. He and Billy Martindale, and I keep throwing all these names out, but Billy Martindale played golf about the same time that Don January did. Man, that's a lot of names. That is a lot of names. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine golfers and two designers. That's how many names were just dropped right there. But here's the deal. Of those nine players, one, two, three, four, five of them, Hall of Famers. Not a bad list. Not a bad bunch of acquaintances to have when you're building your golf career, right? And though it might sound like a lot of name dropping, these are Melvin's friends and work acquaintances. And you know what? It ain't bragging if you can do it. I've got a tremendous amount of history. I've hosted 16 PGA events. Uh, 
That's just crazy numbers. That's just crazy numbers. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, so I hosted all of the LPGA skins games that they ever had. They don't do the. They do the still do the skins game for men, but they only did nine years, eight or nine years. They did the LPGA skins games, and I actually got to be reasonably good friends with. Nancy Lopez, mm-hmm. uh, Dottie Pepper, wow, uh, Laura Davies. Do you know any bad golfers? I mean, besides me. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. Yeah, I play, I play with several. <laughs> <laughs> these are all legends. Not, Every one of these names is a legend. Oh, I know it. Dottie Pepper and I really got to be good friends. Let me let's back yeah. up a second because I'm overwhelmed at this sure. point. This is amazing, amazing, just <laughs> American sports history. This is great. What is your connection to golf? Where did it come from? How did you wind up as a superintendent and a designer and all those say walk me backwards or walk me forwards from backwards or whatever it might be? Okay. Well, uh, I went to Texas Tech. Okay. Uh, university. And my mother thought I should be a uh, an architect, so I started off as a architect major at Texas Tech. And when I got to calculus, I decided that's when I decided uh, architecture is not for me. <laughs> for me. Oh so, yeah. Anyway, I changed majors. I changed majors about three times because uh, I really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do, and. I had to take some science before I could graduate from tech. And so I took a course in horticulture. And in this horticulture course that I took, they had uh, about two weeks of it, I guess it was, we spent in turf grass management. So two weeks before I graduated from college, I didn't really know for sure what I was going to do. So I went to Dallas and interviewed with the, my degree is in park administration, bachelor of science degree in park administration. So I went to Dallas and interviewed with the city of Dallas parks department. And I interviewed at Brookhaven country club, which is CCA at one point, they owned about 150 country clubs around the world. Oh my. I mean, they are worldwide. Sure. So after I got through with my interviews, I said, man, that would be nice to get up every morning the rest of my life and go to the country club. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're you're thinking. (laughs) I had been a real novice golfer. I I wasn't that good. And at one point, I got to where I was a seven, had a seven handicap. Nice. But that's the best I've ever had. And now I'm an 18 uh, (laughs) because I'm getting ready to turn 80 uh, this year. So... I just can't hit the ball near as far as I used to. So anyway, that's that's how I got started. Uh, I went to I started to work as an assistant superintendent at Brookhaven Country Club in Dallas. Then two years after I was an assistant there at Brookhaven, I left and took over where Don January was the golf pro, and he was building two golf courses there in Plano, which is a suburb of Dallas, and that's where I met Don. He was building several golf courses over the next couple of years, and my job was to get them grassed and get them open for play. At one time, I was a regional superintendent, and I had 16 golf courses under me. These were all club corp golf courses. Sure. They were in 
Louisiana, Arkansas, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Could not have must have done that for close to 20 years. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Got trouble with Nutsedge? Who doesn't have trouble with Nutsedge? What you need is effective Nutsedge control that lasts. Sedgehammer Herbicide from Gowan Company. Effective Nutsedge control controls both purple and yellow Nutsedge. Low use rate, perfect for warm or cool seasons. Controls Nutsedge above and below the ground. That's one of the important parts right there. And of course, it's pets and people friendly. You can return as soon as it's dry. Great for commercial application, large coverage areas, complete systemic control. Control 7 to 14 days. Long-lasting results. That's season-long efficacy under normal pressure. So take control of Nuts Edge with Sedgehammer Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. You know, staying accessible and connected is key to running a cool show like Open Field Radio. And sincerely, listeners are important. That means you. And because of that and the growth of the show around the world, you can now reach us on WhatsApp. And it's super simple. The easiest way? OpenFieldRadio.com. At the very bottom right there in the Contact Us section, there's a button that says WhatsApp. What do you know? Click that, shoot us a message. You know what? There's somebody at the other end of that that will gladly connect with you. We love to keep in touch because without you, we're just talking to ourselves. Stay connected because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Quick shout out to some folks we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Big hello to Parkersburg, West Virginia, Hilo, Hawaii, Cardiff by the Sea, California, Chillicothe, Ohio, Singapore, Phuket, Thailand, and Buenos Aires, Argentina. Thanks for listening. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. I always say when it comes to golf, for me, I've played golf. That's fine. I've played golf. But for me, if there's not a clown and a windmill involved, I'm really keeping keeping score. You know what I mean? (laughs) So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. In your time in golf, which has been a long time and historic time in golf, how has turf management changed and has the turf itself evolved and changed over that period of time? Oh, yeah. It's 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 unbelievable. It originally started out probably one of the oldest forms of improved turf grass management was called tip dwarf. That was a grass that was, I'm not sure how it was developed through A&M or how it was actually discovered it was a mutation and then they just propagated that and so that's how the tip dwarf got started and so then right after that came tip 328 which was it's just a number they gave it it's just uh somewhere in the process the bermuda mutated again a little bit and became a little bit finer and became uh 328 now, there's two kinds of grass for greens. There's bent grass greens, which is everything north of uh, probably as far north as Oklahoma City or Kansas City. Anything north of that will be bent grass. Uh, it's too cold to grow Bermuda grass up there. So the southern half of the United States, you'll start finding Bermuda grass which is a warm season grass, where bent grass is uh, considered a cool season grass. So you really have to fight to keep the cool season grass alive when it really starts getting hot. So you have to have people out there 
every day checking it and cooling it, syringing it, cooling it, where Bermuda, the hotter it gets, the better it does. Uh, then they came up with a hybrid Bermuda uh, for the fairways, and that was pretty much 419. Now they've developed another one. I don't even know what the name of it is just off the top of my head. But there's another new one that they just rebuilt the Hills Country Club here this last year. And they put this really, really good new hybrid Bermuda in the fairways. And it's already greened up where the 419 right next to it in the roughs, it hasn't uh, greened up yet. And so it's, uh, it's a much finer textured grass. And uh, the Bermuda grasses have continued to get better and better and now they came along with uh, champion bermuda grass what they call champion bermuda grass which is well we'll back up just a little uh, <laughs> tip dwarf the original tip dwarf you'd mold that and keep it at about three sixteenths to a quarter of an inch tall okay and then when the 328 came along you could maintain it at about an eighth of an inch long uh, then Trip Eagle is, a, is probably one of the next widely used Bermudas that came along, and you could maintain it at about 125 thousandths of an inch, which is just a little over a tenth of an inch long. And, and to, in order to do that, the maintenance has tremendously, tremendously changed. You constantly put a real thin layer of sand on the greens to keep the grain out and for them to putt real smooth and all. Then came Champion Bermuda, and now there's the newest one. It's called Champion 12. It's as close to bent grass. Bent grass, they've always been able to maintain that at about a tenth of an inch. And some of the tournaments that they're having now, they'll be mowing them even below a tenth of an inch. They'll mow them at 80 thousandths of an inch, which is less than a tenth of an inch. Yeah, long. a little bit less. It's like linoleum. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's, and, uh, but this new Champion 12 that they put in, it's the finest, truest rolling Bermuda grass, I mean, by far, that I have ever seen. It's just unbelievable. Now, let's get our heads around this for a minute. A tenth of an inch. Does your lawnmower cut at a tenth of an inch? Mine hardly cuts at all, let alone on any height I choose. You know what I'm saying? But a tenth of an inch, that's pretty darn small. So I started monkeying around trying to figure out, what is a tenth of an inch? Figured it out. Get yourself some copy paper, right? Go to the copy machine. Get yourself some copy paper. 25 sheets. That'll get you uh, pretty close. About a tenth of an inch. Think about a blade of grass. Think about a whole lot of grass. All at a tenth of an inch. And by the way, who's got the ruler to measure it? So down to less than tenth of an inch, you started to tell me that the, that the, the management of that is just, it has to be incredible. You've got to be on it all the time. Yeah, it's just, uh, as a golf course superintendent, it's 24-7 job. There's so many things because you're dealing with nature, with uh, cultural practices, and all of those have changed tremendously over the years. You have to continually verticut or thin the grass and put sand on top, top dress it. Nearly everybody anymore, they don't use any granular fertilizer. So nearly everybody sprays their greens. And they'll put on like a, a tenth of a pound of nitrogen or, or even less 
extremely small, minute amounts of fertilizer that are foliar applied and foliar absorbed. And that's how they maintain all these new hybrid Bermuda grasses. Now, you know, a granular fertilizer, you just mow it and pick all that up. There's no way to even apply that because you just mow it right off at the height and all that you're mowing. So about the only way you can have a fertility program now is just to spray it on and have it foliar absorbed. Bottom line is to say there's agriculture in golf is an understatement. There's a ton of agriculture in golf. Oh, yeah. just can't even tell you because as a golf course superintendent, I had to be certified at one point. And to keep your certification, you have to maintain so many hours of continuing education every year. You have to attend turf conferences and turf class, like A&M, for years and years. Every year in December, they put on a class, classes for about a week for all the golf course superintendents in Texas that want to learn more how to maintain and what all to do so that once someone can actually get your degree in turf grass management. For the listener, A&M is what? Uh, Texas A&M is the uh, agricultural college in Texas. There's probably some of the most famous golf course management courses in the United States are Penn State, Clemson. All your A&M colleges will have degrees in, in park administration, and that can be in Florida. There's good colleges all over, but some of the oldest and longest colleges that have had turf grass management programs are, like say, Penn State, Clemson, like when I went to Texas Tech, and they still don't have a degree in turf grass management, but you can take more courses in turf grass management at Tech, but you can actually get your degree from A&M or several colleges, and it's a turf grass management degree. So I hear what you're thinking right now. Maybe you're in a work-from-home situation, or maybe you're in a cubicle somewhere. I don't know. And you're thinking right now, listening to this, I need to be outside at the golf course. I need an education. Well, you know, turf management degrees, they are out there, just as Melvin said. Check this out. Here's the list. You ready? Get your paper and pencil, because you're going to want this. Texas A&M, Purdue, University of Georgia, University of Maryland, University of Nebraska, Michigan State, North Dakota State University, Washington State University, North Carolina State, Pennsylvania State University, New Mexico State University, University of Massachusetts, University of Minnesota, Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, Delaware Valley University, and on and on. You'll find them. They're out there. How bad do you want to play golf? So when you graduated from college with your Parks degree, off to Dallas you went. What year was that? In 1966. 1966. All those golf names you dropped earlier, those were all legends at the time or popular at the time or soon to be incredibly popular, all happening right then. Right, yeah. It's all happened since 1966. That is incredible. Uh, Yeah, I actually met Ben Hogan once. Uh, He was building a golf course uh, there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I went went and interviewed with him for the job as uh, golf course superintendent. And at the time, I did not get that job, but I did did meet him. And then uh, that's when I found out <laughs> a long time ago that 
uh, a lot of times it's who you know and not what you know. Yeah, sure. There you go. Your job. That's right. <laughs> when it comes to golf and golf course design, let's start with the big name, Jack Nicholas. Man, oh man, what a place in golf history and what a place in golf course history this guy has carved out for himself. The Golden Bear basically dominated golf from 1971 to 1980. He won nine major championships, overtook Bobby Jones's record of 13 majors, and became the first player to complete double and triple career Grand Slams. He won the 86 Masters. By the way, that's his 18th and final major championship at age 46, the tournament's oldest winner. What do you do after that? Well, why not design awesome golf courses? Nicholas operates one of the largest golf course design practices in the world. And though Nicholas's hand may not be directly involved the way you think, his experience and insights are evident throughout the experience. If you check out nicholas.com or nicholasdesign.com, you're going to see some amazing photos of amazing golf courses. And they are all spectacular, absolutely beautiful. What a legacy this guy has given to golf and to America. Fantastic. Jack himself is not involved in golf course design or anything. He has people under him. His son, Jack Toon, his name is on a lot of the Nicholas courses. And then he's got a lot of designers under him that have worked for him over the years, and they know what he expects. So how much he actually designs, he does the routing, like, okay, we're going to start here, and this is where we're going to go. Then he has designers that work for him that know what he wants and how he wants it done. So the last figure I heard, this was several years ago, that just for Jack to design a a golf course for you cost over a million dollars. Oh, I'm sure of that, yeah. At one point, if you wanted to get a, say, a Jack Nicholas course, you'd find somebody that has worked for him, and you can get it for probably half to three quarters of what Jack will charge. To me, Fazio is one of the best designers. He, he's my favorite designer. When I built Stonebriar Golf Course in, in Dallas, which is or in Frisco, which is a suburb of Dallas, we paid Dennis Rodman a, a million dollars to do the rough grading. So that didn't even start to include the uh, shapers and all that come in and actually do the final shaping for the golf course. Nowadays, the sprinkler system alone for a lot of golf courses nowadays probably runs in the neighborhood of $2 million. Yeah, I can't even imagine. You can't get a name golf course built nowadays for very low end. It would probably be in the neighborhood of $15 million. And uh, some of them, I'm sure, run considerably more than that. Coast to coast and around the world, you're listening to Open Field Radio. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, right? Gowan USA has a broad selection of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides to deliver customized solutions for your crops. Gowan provides the right programs to fit your unique needs, standing behind our products with expert service and support. And Gowan USA is family-owned and operated right here in the United States of America for over 55 years. That's a long time. Check it out for yourself at gowanco.com. And now you know. Open Field Radio. Like, share, subscribe. I love to tell you about things that I like. And that's the only reason I want to tell you about them. And if you're like me, I take notes on post-it notes on anything. I'll write something down. But then what? I lose them, right? Well, here, if you're like me in that way, get yourself the Adobe Scan app. 
I love this thing. Get it on your phone, right? On anything you want. That's right. Get the app out. It's Adobe. Come on. It's going to be quality. Snap a shot of your notes with the camera in the app. Bingo, bango, bongo. You save it. It's a PDF in your phone just as you wrote it. From there, you can share it or do whatever else you want to do with it. But the one thing you won't do, I promise you, you won't lose it. Adobe Scan in your favorite app store. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, golf course superintendent, Melvin Williams. Of the courses you've worked on, what's your favorite one? One of my favorites is, the name of it is Diamante. Uh, It's in uh, Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. That's one of my favorites, period. Uh, (laughs) Then uh, (laughs) with my Class A golf course superintendent's card, I can go just about anywhere in the United States and play golf and don't have to pay anything to play. Boy, oh boy. One of the few that I haven't been able to get on is the Masters. Sure. Huh, I <laughs> uh, wonder why. <laughs> and uh, there's a couple of very, very high-end clubs in Palm Springs I wasn't able to get on. And then uh, places like uh, maybe Medina. You know, there's a few name courses, old courses around that I can't get on. Have you got a a favorite golf story with any of the folks you rubbed elbows with? You got one story that stands out? Let me think just a second. Um, Nancy Lopez is one that comes to mind. Sure. She was there at Stonebriar. She was there for the Skins game. And she ran out of golf balls. They were supposed to be shipping her golf balls from Maxfly. At that time, she played Maxfly Gold. The pro shop didn't have any. There were none in Dallas, but I had a dozen in my office. (laughs) (laughs) So I provided her golf balls for the Skins game one year that she was in it. Well, let me ask you this. What's the most demanding tweak to a golf course that any any professionals ever asked you to do in preparation for an event? The pros don't do that so much. There's an agronomist with the PGA that he comes in and works with the superintendent to do all the tweaking that needs to be done to get the golf course ready for the pros. Uh, the pros have very little to nothing to say about the conditioning of the golf course. That's all done through the PGA agronomist, and they have probably two or three that uh, go around the country up to a year uh, ahead of time to work with the superintendent to do all the tweaking in. They tell you how much you can water and when you can water during the tournament. The superintendent is not controlled by that. That is controlled by the PGA agronomist. If you have any issues that come up before the tournament, you get in touch with the agronomist. He comes in, and if there's any issues that they might need to be involved with as far as the conditioning of the golf course, they check your bunkers to make sure that the sand is the correct depth everywhere. Bunkers are one of the hard things to get ready for the PGA because they want the sand just right, getting it where you don't get plug lies every time the ball hits in there. And I know this this last week they had a lot of that up there at the uh, at the TPC in 
uh, Jacksonville this year with the players, they had quite a few buried lies in the sand. That did not happen much when I had the PGA agronomist coming in. They would kind of work with us on the depth and what to do to the sand so that it's firm enough but not too firm and soft enough but not too soft. That's one of the hardest demands that they put on you is the bunkering. And I'm sure they're all over the grass length too, right? You get the height of cut that they want for the, the week of the tournament, and you cannot maintain that height of cut year-round or even for extended periods of time, even if you're in the prime weather for growing grass. The demands they put on you are you can't maintain that that <laughs> level uh, all the time. Like I say, you'll, most people will raise their height to cut back up, uh, say if they're at a, a one thousandth of an inch. Well, they might go back up to uh, 160, 170, 170 thousandths for the regular normal play every day for the membership. So you end up maintaining your greens and all at a lot closer height of cut during tournament time than you do for the regular membership. Just like every other industry, the golf and golf course industry, superintendents and supervisors and everybody else, they have their very own convention, expo, trade show, call it what you want. The cool thing is it's in San Diego every year. And I did have the chance to go to it eh, a couple of years ago. It's pretty darn cool. The other cool thing is, is that Melvin's had the opportunity more than once to attend this very awesome trade show. And in doing so, has been honored for all the years he's put into this fantastic industry. Before I forget, you said you were out this way in San Diego in February. Were you at the Golf Expo in San Diego there? Yeah, I, that's where I, uh, I played in the superintendent's tournament. Uh, I've got about 20 plates over the years. The first one that I won was in 1979 was the first year I ever, you have to finish in the top 10% of your flight to get a plate which commemorizes the tournament that you played in. It, it gives the state and the year and uh, has a golf course superintendent uh, logo in the middle of it. It's a pewter plate, and that has become a real prized possession for anybody who has ever won one of them. But I've won up to, uh, I just won this one this year, and this is my 19th one. So I played in the tournament this year and finished second place in the Super Seniors. Then I got my 50-year pin at the uh, convention center there in San Diego on Thursday morning. They had the uh, annual meeting of the of all the golf course superintendents, and that's where they presented me my 50-year pin. And there were like 25 of us that. Uh, got her 50 year pins this wow. year. Wow, congratulations. I've been to that I've been to that expo. I was at the 2019 expo and then a couple of my buddies from the office here went this year. So uh, we're very oh, familiar okay. very familiar with it. What's your favorite thing about your life in golf? You know, looking back on it, my relationship with everyone, the members and the tournaments, but the members themselves the friendships that I have made. I have always played golf. I played on a regular basis with the membership to know what they liked, disliked. If somebody came up complaining about a certain thing, 
I played enough that I always had a response, an honest response to their problems or questions. You know, I feel like I've never really worked. To me, it's been a, a labor of love in my entire life. That's the only thing I've ever done since I graduated from college was golf course and golf course maintenance. So uh, it's been just so rewarding, and I've, I've enjoyed doing it so much that not everybody can say they've enjoyed their work. But I totally enjoyed, loved doing what I was doing my entire life. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.